Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 70, Movies About Movies. It is kind of a vague concept, I'll admit it, but it's one that I am looking forward to talking to, considering that we just had the Academy Awards, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. But uh, first, Josh, how are you doing tonight? I am tired. <laughs> Oh, this weekend. I mean, this is the life I have chosen, so I can't. I can't really complain. Uh, but I, th- I think in total, this weekend I drove twenty three hours. <laughs> and so, given where you live, you probably didn't even have to leave the state for that. I didn't leave the state. There was only one time when I came close to the border. <laughs> North or south? Ah, uh, south. Oh, it's 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 wrestling, bro. So of course it's south. But yeah, um, I don't know. There could be some exciting things north of the Texas border. There's nothing in Oklahoma. The or rest Arkansas. of the country. <laughs> yeah, or as you guys like to call it, another country. Yeah, basically. Uh, but it was good. I mean, it was a good weekend. So I mean, I can't really complain. There was like some really really cool moments and. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good weekend, man. How how was your weekend? Good. It, it leads us to um, something that I don't have in the news topics, but I want to discuss nonetheless. Um, I saw Birds of Prey, and on, it yeah. seems like from the looks of the box office, I may have been one of the proud and the few. I have heard that it's actually pretty good. It is pretty good. Unfortunately, it is not tracking well. Um, opening weekend, I think it hit 32 million. Jeez. That, which is the, uh, I saw the sad statistic. It is the lowest grossing opening weekend box office for a DC related comic book character since the Jonah Hex movie. Oh, ouch. Which, yeah, I texted you immediately after I got out of the theater saying, I owe Birds of Prey a huge apology, which I do. So now it's time for me to grovel and go, this movie is by no means the best DC movie out there. I, there's some people that I listen to podcast-wise that are like, it is the new best DC movie. And I'm like, eh, hold your horses there. Um, but it is leaps and bounds better than I had any expectation for. Um, I'll kind of break down why I think it's doing, how it's doing at the box office in a little bit. But my general thoughts is I really, really enjoyed it. It was very evident that they had reshoots. Um with Chaz Tehelski from John Wick because the action in this is ramped up so much compared to previous DC movies. The action is really, really well done. It's not like the warehouse fight in Batman v Superman. It feels kind of like John Wick fights, but not. Um, I like that this movie very much feels like it's established in a comic book world and it fleshes out a comic book universe. Like... Um, a lot of these characters are over the top, but the lore that they establish is really deep. And I know we were nervous about some things and some things work. Some things don't. Cassandra Kane, I really don't think works. Like that character did not have to be Cassandra Kane. That being said, we were worried about like an over the top flamboyant black mask. He is over the top flamboyant, but nonetheless intimidating. Hugh McGregor was the best thing about it. Um, and Zaz, while they may have changed some things, that he still mild spoilers, I guess. He still is that like, oh, I'll free the person if I kill them type of thing. 
Yeah. He says it once or twice of just like, uh, you'll be released from your suffering or like I'll free your soul type of thing. Um, and Black Mask is terrifying of like, he'll be your chummy best friend one minute and then he'll snap the next, uh, which kind of somebody suggested. And I kind of believe it of if Jared Leto's Joker wasn't so poorly received, they could see the Joker being the main villain for this movie. Um, but the action was really well done. Margot Robbie continues to be a great Harley Quinn. For the most part, I think there's still times where her Harley voice kind of slips in and out of like, yeah. oh, oh, there's your, just your normal American accent. Um, but it was so much better than I was expecting it to be. All the characters were really great, even if they may not always feel like their comic book counterparts. I liked Canary. I like Huntress a lot. Um, it it was surprisingly good. It was a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Middle tier DC, I think. But another solid, solid entry, I think, in the universe that fleshes out. It. It's nice to have just... It's not... It is connected, but it's not. It is actually a sequel to Suicide Squad. They do reference some things. There's a Captain Boomerang reference at one point, which I, I popped a little bit for. Um, but it doesn't... It doesn't retcon anything from Suicide Squad, but it doesn't acknowledge it any more than it has to, um, which kind of leads me into why I think this movie is, for lack of a better term, flopping. Like, it's not failing as hard as some outlets are making you think, but it is not doing as well as Warner Brothers was expecting. And off the top of my head, uh, I think it, part of it is m- marketing. You and I have been saying for months that the trailers have looked terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And they clearly were hiding a good movie with these or they were marketing it the wrong way. Um, And also, I don't think this is a spoiler to say, this movie should not have been called what it's called. Right now it's titled Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That should not have been the title because the Birds of Prey really are not the main focus and are not in it as much as you would think. This movie should have been just called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Um, I think there's more value in a movie called Harley Quinn than a movie called Birds of Prey because I don't think the general population knows who the Birds of Prey are or knows it enough to care. Whereas if he said Harley Quinn, yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. Um, yeah, I can see that. The other thing is, I as much as I liked it, this movie is rated R, and for m- about 90% of this movie, I didn't understand why it was. Like, there's some more language in it than other DC movies. Uh, it does feel very much like the Harley Quinn animated series on DC Universe. But at no point did I think this movie had to be R. If you went down to PG-13, I don't think that movie changes a whole lot. And I say it could be PG-13 because Suicide Squad was PG-13. And if you had your fan base, which is mainly teens and tweens for uh, Suicide Squad, and you suddenly expect them to come to an R-rated movie, um, I don't think so. But also, Suicide Squad was four years ago. Maybe some of that fan base has dropped off or gone elsewhere? Maybe. I also think that a lot of people thought it was going to be a... thought it was a sequel to Suicide Squad, which technically, from what you're saying, it is. It is, but it isn't. Exactly. But I think that was a big turnoff for some people. 
Oh, I would completely agree because you and I both have Suicide Squad very low in our rankings, and we're people that like DC normally. Um, yeah. yeah, I think Suicide Squad left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, I'm disappointed this movie is not doing well at the box office, but I'm not surprised, to say the least. I think it'll at least have some legs, but DC has to be disappointed in the results. I, if I'm them, I'm not disappointed in the box office itself. Um, I would say, Josh, when you get the chance, check it out. I mean, I, of course. I, I, that's, you know what this feels like, actually? This feels like we might get our first cult classic of our generation. For you know what I mean? comic book movie, at least. For, 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 for comic, at least for comic book movies. At least, like, you know, when you and I are adults and can go see these kinds of movies. Because, like, I, I don't think we were old enough to see Zombieland in theaters, technically. See, um, when you say uh, comic book cult movie, I think of one other that it's even more comic booky, more cultish. That sounds horrible, but it's not. Um, Dread. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. This feels like this can, this could go to that esteem of maybe people see it after it leaves theaters, which honestly, you know, I don't know if Warner Brothers has access to that kind of information, but like of, you know, where people are streaming it, like legally, legally, obviously, or how many people are renting it off of Redbox or what have you. Maybe that can tell them something as as well. So Harley Quinn, as we all know, is the now ex-girlfriend of Jared Leto's Joker, who I'm going to go out on a limb and say that right about now, Jared Leto is probably fuming because... He is probably one of the few live-action Jokers to not win an Academy Award for his role yep. as Joker. Which is crazy to me because I was joking with somebody that like that he that Joaquin wasn't going to win um, because Adam Driver deserved it for Kylo Ren. <laughs> He's just got the sore back from carrying the franchise. I mean, <laughs> when you, you got to do what you got to do. So uh, we bring that up because. Sunday was Josh's favorite day of the year, the Academy Awards. No, oh, I was like, I, I mean, it felt like any other, you know, any other weekend, but sure. Uh, Josh, did you catch, and not any of the show, but any like the big stories coming out of the Academy Awards this year? No, um, part, partly no, because of all the traveling I did this weekend, but also just like, I, I just don't pay attention at all. I figured there's some, there's still some noteworthy stuff. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix being Joaquin Phoenix when he accepted his award. He's, I don't know if you know this, Josh. Joaquin Phoenix is very socially awkward. No way. Never would have guessed. He talked about inseminating cows and stuff. Well, yeah, I'm down. He's just, he's a very interesting individual. Um, did but didn't come as no surprise that Parasite won a lot of things this year. Good. Um, it won Best Original Screenplay, which it took away from Knives Out, which made me sad. Um, but it also won Best International Film, Best Director, and Best Picture, which I was expecting both Best Picture and Best Director to go to 1917, um, which this just makes me want to find Parasite all the more. Um because I've it's heard interesting it's fantastic. to me. 
because uh, I always thought that the judges were exactly the same. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know how it can, you know, how 1970-17 can basically clean up at one award show and then not do as well at the other. Um, I think it's a... A friend of mine explained it to me of, like, 1917 may have gotten more first-place votes, but uh, Parasite may have gotten more votes overall. Fair, I suppose. That type of thing. Um, there's a couple surprises. Overall, it wasn't a bad show. Um, the ratings would suggest otherwise, as, again, it continues to dip as the Academy insists that it's relevant as it clings to relevancy every year. Um, as us yep. film people are just like, we'll watch it, but I'm, I'm indifferent to it, but I, I'm still interested to see who wins every year. Um, there's quite a few surprises that were nice to see, including Eminem of all things. Yep. Did you hear about this? I, I, I heard that he was there. Not only was he there, he performed Lose Yourself live. But, but what? So but the rationale what, was, uh, so every year at the Academy Awards, there's five songs nominated for Best Original Song, and those songs are performed throughout the night. Well, the rationale was when he is nominated for Lose Yourself during 8 Mile, uh, he never actually got to perform that live. So they did a surprise for the audience and had him perform it then. Okay. It's like, well, I can never be mad at a surprise Eminem appearance, which ironically, here's the six degrees of separation. The winner of best original song was an Elton John song from Rocket Man. And Elton John has sang a duet before with Eminem. Okay. Yeah, weird. Weirdness of the day. Yeah, weird, but I mean, it's kind of cool, but weird. Um, So Joker... One for Joaquin Phoenix, one for Joker with uh, best lead actor, but also it won for best uh, score too, which is uh, one of the first times that a female composer has won. I think in like thirty years they said. Oh wow! Um, which that was super cool. Uh, a moment that I definitely popped pretty hard for was presenting. I forget what award they presented. Um, was Shia LaBeouf and Zach Gottsagen from Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, not what did they get? Uh, they presented an award together, which actually Zach Gottsagen made know. history as the first actor with Down syndrome to present an award at the Academy Awards. I mean, that's cool, I guess. Yeah, I'm I love Zach, he's such a cool dude. You could tell he was super nervous, but Shia was there helping him out. You know, you know what's hilarious is you you texted me that you're like oh hey it's zach and shy i was like you're like that's so cool and i was like yeah that, that's so cool. <laughs> you're just like whatever yeah thinking you're meaning like zach efron or something and i was like oh, why does that matter that's not a big and the deal internet tried to get mad at shia labeouf for like they thought he was laughing at him for his autism but i'm just like did you realize He's probably just laughing that his buddy's super nervous and he's helping him read the teleprompter. You do realize, yep. people, these are these idiots that don't know what Peanut Butter Falcon is. I'm like, you do realize these guys are like best friends and if anybody's going to help Zach on stage, it was going to be Shia. Exactly. Like, you guys need to watch Peanut Butter Falcon. The people listening, if you have not watched Peanut Butter Falcon, dude, what are you, what are you doing with yourself? It's so good. I 
would not be surprised in the slightest if they work together work together again in some movie down the line. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Shia's on a Shia's on a just a tear right now of good movies. So yes, and I believe Honey Boy is also now on Amazon Prime Video. Ooh. Um, and I also remember texting you that our boy Taiko Atiti is now officially an Academy Award winning, um, Academy Award winner. Oh yeah, he won for best adapted screenplay for Jojo Rabbit. Well, that's that's good. He yeah, needs so that. not for directing, unfortunately. I don't even think he got nominated for a director for Jojo Rabbit, but that was very much a surprise. I was not expecting him to win for that. I was expecting like the Irishman to win it. So which the Irishman I, really got shut out hard. It's okay. It's well, fair. but the Academy loves to trip over themselves to love on Scorsese. Unless it's Shutter Island. They didn't like that one. Which I don't know why, because Shutter Island's not half bad. Kind of predictable, but... I, mean, I, I yeah, did I'm notice <laughs> that there was kind of this bias against Netflix movies of, yes, Lord Dern won for Marriage Story for Supporting Actress, but I think that was the only award. That's crazy. Because Adam Driver is incredible in that film. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Adam Driver will win an Academy Award soon. Just wasn't this year. Uh, well. well, it's hard to see a man when he's dressed in black, I guess. Adam Driver will win Academy Award when he gets a short haircut. I doubt that. Every single movie I've ever seen him in, he's got long hair. Whether it's Star Wars, Marriage Story, Black Klansman, uh, Logan Lucky, always got long hair. Okay, well, maybe you're right. Who knows? Because <laughs> I guess the basically the same thing kind of happened to, um, to what's his face? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, his hair is always about the same. Speaking of Adam Driver, before we move on to our next topic, did you see his opening monologue on SNL? I did not. When he's just like, I'm a normal guy. I know I sent no. you the, um, oh man, I'm all out of cash. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. Your, that got me. Put your shirt over your head like Cornholio. And I'm like, did we just make a Cornholio reference in 2020? I never thought I'd get that. Um, but what's what really got me too is I can see like that's like a comedy version of his character in mar- in Marriage Story. Yes, of like the perfectionist. <laughs> yes, like like and it's literally as the audience, there's no discernible difference between anything they're saying. Nope, it's the best. Um, but I did not see his opening monologue. Oh, dude! After this, you got to look up his monologue. That's just as funny as the. Um, all, all man, I'm all I cash. I'm just like, I'm a super normal guy. I'm, I'm chill. I'm relaxed. Uh, can you put on some relaxing music? No, not that. That's terrible. Um, this is actually worse. <laughs> Go back to the original stuff. Um, just like being super petty of like, just trying to be the most chill guy. And he seem I don't know. He's so comfortable, but like he has this one line of just like, um, so some people think I hate doing award shows and press junkets because I do, uh, because I don't like to smile. <laughs> it's just cause I don't smile. Well, I look like when I smile that I've been kidnapped and I'm trying to warn you with my eyes 
And so he smiles on camera and yep, sure enough, he, he looks like he's in stranger danger. That's great. Like, I'm waiting for the day to see him in an out-and-out comedy. Like, he was in Logan Lucky with Daniel Craig, which has some comedic elements, but I wouldn't say that's a full-on comedy. Wow, what was the what was the zombie movie with, with uh, Dead, Bill Murray? Dead Don't Die. It, which is, it's, it's terrible, but his comedic chops in there are definitely flexed a little yes. bit. Yes, he's, he's got some great lines in that. Like, he drives up to a crime scene in that little smart car. <laughs> Would you I don't know why mad? that gets me. Would Every you be mad time. if he was in the MCU as something? Not at all. I mean, what would you want him Sammy as in the MCU? Um, Silver uh, Surfer? No, no. Doom. I want to give. I want to give him something more to do. Uh, not Doom, and that's not his fault. I just feel like Doom needs a specific kind of voice. Um, uh, let's go. I mean, I could see maybe Adam Warlock, but you'd have to maybe dye his hair. Whatever um, role Keanu doesn't get. <laughs> Honestly, what would be hilarious is if they did a, do- a movie documentary about Keanu making movies and it's Adam Driver playing Keanu. <laughs> that's, that's still one of the funniest and harshest memes I've ever seen of Adam Driver looks like if you're trying to describe Keanu to somebody. Oh, that's mean. That's that's just mean. Well, I ask about Ke- um, Adam Driver in the MCU because we have a very, very big development happening in the MCU that I honestly never would have guessed in a thousand years, but I ain't mad at. So, uh, a few weeks back, we said that the director of the upcoming... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Scott Derrickson, a great horror director, had departed the project due to creative differences with Marvel. Um, So now it seems like Kevin Feige made quick decisions and potentially has found a replacement for Scott Derrickson. Not only has he found a replacement for him, but he's found a fellow horror director replacement, but a horror superhero director replacement with Sam Raimi, the guy that did the original three Spider-Man movies, as well as Evil Dead, Drag Me to Hell. Um, weirdly enough, the last movie that he directed was Oz the Great and Powerful, so he has a Disney connection already. Um, I have thoughts on this, but Josh, I would not be surprised at all if your thoughts are different than mine. So let what do you think about this? Here's the thing. Name those movies he's known for again. The Spider-Man trilogy, the Evil the, Dead trilogy, yep. Drag Me to Hell, which and, uh, isn't that bad. His, Just bad what, CGI. What was, his, what was his his most recent one? Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah, which is terrible. I I don't know, dude. I want I you know I'll give anybody you know time to prove themselves. That's fine. But it's like getting it's almost like a company giving the Wachowski brothers money for another Matrix movie right now. It doesn't make sense because no, I think this no... makes a lot more sense than, than the Wachowskis. Wachowskis, let's be honest, have one good movie. I mean, yeah, I know, but whereas I mean, we do not have the MCU without Sam Raimi, if we're being honest. You're not wrong, but those movies have also not aged well at all. See, here's where I'm come. I come at it from a different angle. I like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies a lot more than you do. I think. 
Oh yeah, totally. You you are. I don't know. We both, I think, grew up with the Tobey Maguire's. I watched. We, I think, we both watched them later. But you have more of an attachment to Andrew Garfield. That's totally fine. I'm more of a Tom Holland person. But that being said, I still like the Maguire ones. Um, I respect where they came from, and I acknowledge that without them, we are not where we're at today, comic book movie wise. Um, that being said, I still think Spider Man Two is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. Um, and having a director of that quality on for this project, I think is a good thing. But also, it shows that um, Kevin Feige is sticking with the horror theme. Like, Scott Derrickson directed Sinister before he did Doctor Strange. And as we said, Sam Raimi comes from a horror background doing The Evil Dead. He has probably done more horror in his career than superhero stuff. So I'm excited that not only did they replace him with some other director that has superhero experience, but a director that has horror experience. And say say what you want about Dragging Me to Hell, but he's got PG-13 horror experience. Because let's be honest, that's what this is going to be. If it's horror, it's not going to be hard R, because that's not what the MCU is about. They've built a brand, um, and that's fine. I don't think this is a bad idea at all. Now, some people are suggesting that this could lead into a potential crossover, which I think is actually coming. But Doctor Strange is not where that crossover is going to start happening. However, however, there's a big old butt in here. Oh, yeah? Let us not forget, Sam Raimi foreshadowed this crap 16 years ago. Wait, how so? In Spider-Man 2, when Doc Ock gets his limbs, believe it or not, there's a scene um, where Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's own brother that shows up in all three of the original Spider-Man movies, along with Bruce Campbell from The Evil Dead, um, when J. Jonah Jameson is trying to figure out a name for Doc Ock. Um, Dr. Octopus. No, that sounds too crap. Dr. Strange. I like it, but it's taken. Ooh. They said that all the way back in Spider-Man 2. Okay. So, Interesting. whether or not they'll go down that route, I don't even know if legally Sam Raimi's allowed to reference anything from his Spider-Man movies. That being said, how cool would it be if... I, I don't think we will get a full-on Spider-Man crossover, but... How cool would it be if there is a Doctor Strange that exists in the Tobey Maguire trilogy that will show up in the Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness? Because if it's a multiverse, theoretically, there should be multiple Doctor Stranges out there, right? Uh, technically, yeah, sure. And, you know, that's uh, that's Adam Driver's role right there. Ooh. Just uh, like knowing, he's like... His- knowing how... Uh, Sam Raimi works It'll probably be Bruce Campbell uh, He'll start doing some magic Groovy Get out of here I want to shoot myself No But in the multiverse of madness I still think I'm the most excited for that Just cause There's so much Potential There That we don't know No I would agree with that It's I don't know I, I get excited for this Um 
There's been some interesting developments with the Morbius movie. Potentially, there might be some very interesting crossover there, but that's all rumor and speculation now, so we won't get into that now. There, There's some interesting things on the horizon for mo- both Marvel and Sony, I think, and I, I think this is a larger play on the chessboard, so to speak. Yeah, it, you almost... I, I expect big things from them here because that was always my worry, was that after we hit you know, end game that they would have nothing to do. Yeah. I and Kevin Feige has talked about it. After Endgame, it's more or less gonna not be a full reboot, but a rebuilding season like sports of like you gotta build up the story again. Yeah, exactly. Um rather an interesting development and I don't see a lot of people talking about this but they really, really should because this, I think, is a big development. Um, so we're in the midst of the streaming wars with Disney+, Plus, um, Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV. Oh. <laughs> Oak. But um, apparently Apple TV may realize that they're a joke right now and the butt end of a lot of streaming jokes because it seems like both Apple and Netflix is in a bidding war for MGM Studios. This kind of surprises me, but kind of doesn't, because off the top of my head, other than James Bond, I can't think of any major MGM franchises over the past several years. I mean, that's fair. I mean, I, d- I don't know how the studio is doing, but clearly yeah, they're, like- they're looking to sell. Nobody would get anything from them, though. I mean... Content. What Maybe? That's a lot of content, though. You got to think, if MGM is an old studio, and with them probably comes about 100 years worth of movies that they've made. If you're... The Apple will probably look into buying Sony. As much as Sony saying, we're not selling, we're not selling. That where there's smoke, there's fire with that. And I think Apple is in the business of buying. I I say Apple because I don't think Netflix is in the is in the mindset of buying other companies down on original content because their content is like falling quickly back to its original owners, whether that's HBO, Warner Brothers, um, Disney, whoever else. Netflix realizes they need original content, whereas Apple Apple has the money to go out and. I think they have in their budget one major acquisition. It's just a matter of what that acquisition is. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I just I I I, I don't think that there it's gonna matter because if that you know if MGM is the only reason I'm gonna go get you know get app get Apple, I I don't think I'm gonna get Apple. <laughs> Like even- yeah, right now there's like nothing on Apple TV. There's like four shows, and that's it. Yeah, it's not even not five bucks a, a month. I mean, it's not much of a reason. But even Netflix, like, how do they even have money to be buying anything right now? Yeah, they're so massively in debt. That's why I'm just like, I don't buy that Netflix will buy that. Um, I this just confirms to me what I've been thinking for a while, the app to buy. And if they don't buy MGM, 
Sony better be looking over their shoulder. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be surprised. This just raises more flags to me of the smaller studios that aren't, that didn't get on the streaming service themselves. Maybe gulped away by other um, bigger companies soon enough. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Although that does worry me because having smaller studios and movies was is has always been like almost a checks and balances kind of thing. I'm actually more MGM team up with like Warner Brothers because they've team up together so often for movies. Exactly. And have like, MGM that makes content on uh, HBO Max. Yeah, which makes more sense to me. But which we'll, I'm, we'll see I'm what still mad at Warner Brothers that we really don't have a ton of information on HBO Max. Like it comes out in May and I'm still unclear as to yes, we know some of the content on it, but I'm just like, well, will there be offline downloads? Will there be 4K content? Because right now HBO itself doesn't have 4K content, which how do you not have 4K content of any kind in 20? Because that's one of the biggest advantages in Disney Plus's corner is, hey, if your internet can take it, sure, we have any a lot of major movies that you like and want on Disney Plus already in 4K that you don't have to pay extra for. Netflix. Yeah. And Netflix I would like the is... same for um, HBO Max. I would love to be able to watch the Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or any of the DC movies on 4K. It should be amazing. Aquaman in 4K would. Oh, I don't know. If oh, my brain's I, ready I for may that. own it on 4K. Okay. Well, I don't know if my brain is ready for that. Dude, <laughs> uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I want that. Speaking of beautiful and surprising things, um, did you see the trailer for Spiral? I would not say beautiful, but okay. Okay, fine. I will say beautiful and keep it to myself then. <laughs> I'm mixed. I'm right on the fence teetering. I can go either way, but I also have a theory in my back pocket, but I'll get your thoughts out first. Yeah, I like, I mean, I enjoy it. It feels, I, I like how they're not showing us any of the traps yet. I mean, it is the first trailer, which is good. Um, I think I'm more surprised than anything else because... It feels like it. I don't know, how do I say this? It feels like an actual like studio made this movie, and not so much like a uh, hey, a bunch of friends in a back you know backyard or something, which was something that Saw already always kind of felt like. Um, but tell me, you didn't get at least a little nervous when you, they were showing the logos and it still said Twisted Pictures? Yeah, I was like, oh I, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but I like that. They're sticking kind of with the, the jigsaw um, kind of feel of let's name it something that's not directly tied to the whole series of Saw. And I'm curious of what the book of Saw means as well. But I mean, it doesn't look as bad as I expected it to do, to, And maybe that's why I'm, I'm hopping all over it, because I think you uh, for y'all like you. I know you probably remember when you were like, oh, yeah, Chris Rock's uh, writing a Saw movie. I was like, oh, okay, sure. No, I don't Whatever. think neither of us were... I don't think either of us were negative because lately we've seen more and more comedic people get into horror and do it well. 
You're right. Never mind. No, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but it's it's interesting. I think there's both good and bads with this trailer. Um, I'll start with the bads and then finish with the goods. Uh, right off the bat, I get this sense that this movie didn't have Saw in mind, and they just were looking for a way to reboot Saw. Like this feels more like Seven than it does Saw. I would agree. Of and maybe that's why it looks interesting to me. Um, it feels. I don't think Jigsaw is going to be in this movie. And that's why they're saying from the book of Saw, like this is going to be tangentially related to Saw, which I have a theory, which I'll say in a little bit here. Um, But there's plenty of positives. Even as someone that's not the biggest Saw fan, I've seen about half of them. I will finish watching them before this new one comes out. I'm not going to lie. I popped a little bit when they started playing that classic Saw theme. Oh, yeah. Of like, you don't think it's, it's iconic, but you know it so well. It's just like, oh, it's the big reveal music. Yep. Which, rewatching the trailer a few times, when um, Chris Rock goes to investigate that murder or whatever in the subway, right? Yeah. He's totally checking out the crime scene of the dead Samuel L. Jackson, isn't he? I. Uh, because Samuel Jackson is seen know. in a subway later in that trailer. Yeah. You want to play games? <laughs> um, I also weirdly and really enjoy that it's called Spiral, which is like very like it's about the circles on Jigsaw's face. Like I don't know, and like how the game's continuously going. I don't know. I've, I I like that a little bit. So I haven't watched the trailer in a few days, and I've been stewing on this theory for a while and I haven't gone back to watch the trailer again since thinking of this, but I'll go back and watch it after this. And who knows, this could deflate my theory, but I had this theory and nothing in the trailer has gone to prove to me that I'm a hundred percent wrong on this. I think this is a prequel for the entire franchise. Which didn't they do that with jigsaw technically? I wouldn't be surprised if this is another um, prequel because there is nothing that gives away that this is set in 2020. True. Like, there's no phone, there's no smartphones or anything. Like, they say there's something, something on the radio. We don't see, I don't think we see Samuel Jackson with a phone in his hand. He's got the gun. Um, I would not be surprised if this is like, this person is the inspiration that, um, that saw that Jigsaw will eventually get his inspiration from. Maybe. And that's why it's from the Book of Saw. I mean, I saw I, I saw Book of Saw as um like another chapter. Yes, it's clearly not Jigsaw. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that these the, the killer's going off after cops, which is I guess why you got the seven. um the seven feel. But, I mean, hey, you know, we could be completely wrong. And oh, yeah, my theory could be completely fresh. wrong. I'll go back and watch. But I think there's nothing in the trailer that proves to me that this is clearly set in 2020. Like, no one's clothes speak of this is current time. Those are clothes that could be worn at any time. Um, there's no, like, fashion choice that's clearly 2020. Um, I don't know. It looks like it could be set in a bunch of different time periods. And I think it'd be an interesting reveal. Like that's the big reveal of this is a prequel. It could work. 
and that's why I mean, it's not I, called Saw Nine. For yeah, well, I mean, outside Saw of, Nine is stupid. Yeah, that and you know, you, as soon as you say Saw Nine, people, I can the general audience that doesn't know what Saw is would be like, oh, there's eight more of these that I gotta watch for this one to make sense. Like, oh man, and then there's those idiots that are just like. Ocean's Eleven? I haven't seen the first ten. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes. <laughs> but yes, overall, I like this trailer. Um, the final shot, you see Chris Rock in that classic Saw situation of he's chained to the bathroom with a um thing. Where do we think that's going to be in the movie? Um, because they want you to think it's going to be the end of like. This is his end. I I don't think they'd spoil something that big. No, I see what. So what I think is maybe this is um maybe it is Jigsaw. Okay, like you know, uh, yes, I I think I agree with it being a prequel, but maybe it is Jigsaw, but a young Jigsaw trying to figure out his puzzles. So he gives, say he he puts Chris Rock's character in that in that situation. But doesn't give him like a dull saw, so he just saws straight through the chain. I don't know. That There's kinda, a lot to you know, think you know about. I mean? We're still a long way off for this movie. Oh, absolutely. But I'll at least see this. I'm curious enough. If nothing else, it looks better than most of the Saw movies, which isn't saying much. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know about you, but I popped hard for that first Saw, uh, Jigsaw trailer. I'm trying to remember the first Jigsaw trailer. It, uh, like, opened up with the scene with the girl jogging. And she, like, looks up and sees the, the guy hanging from the tree. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So... Well, it was, I popped hard for it, but you know, we'll, we'll see. This is the only first one. This is the first trailer and this is Chris Rock's first dip in the horror pool. So let's see how his, his, uh, swimming session goes. Yes. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm more excited for, um, spiral than I am this next one, but thus is the nature of Disney these days, unfortunately. <laughs> So Disney's yeah. on this like kick of we have to do a live action remake of all of our franchises except Treasure Planet and um, Atlantis for some reason. And I knew this day would come, unfortunately, but here we are. It seems to me that we are now getting a live action Lilo and Stitch movie for Disney+. Plus. Why have you forsaken us, God? I... I think and I'm not saying this as a Lilo and Stitch fan. I'll be honest. I hate Stitch. <laughs> I told Heather this earlier tonight, and I will stand by these words. Stitch is the Caillou of Disney. Hey, hey. You, mm, you watch it. No. You take that back. He's not I that bad. Not. Stitch, Stitch is terrible. People are just like, he's cute. He's a menace. He's Dennis the Menace, essentially. That being said, yeah. I liked his show when they hunted down the other experiments, but for his actual movie, he's a menace. I've never understood the appeal of Stitch. 
Fair enough. I'll give it to you. The thing that I think is more alarming is that they're just doing it straight to Disney Plus, which to me feels like straight to DVD. See, that doesn't alarm me because at some point Disney Plus realizes they need to break that stigma that we have of if a movie's going to Disney Plus, then that's straight to DVD worthy. We thought the same thing with Netflix movies when they first launched. I remember the first Netflix original movie that I could think of was something movie with Brad Pitt in the army and like no one remembers it or talks about it. But over time, the quality of Netflix original movies got a little bit better and better to the point that now they're getting nominated for Best Picture and Best Actor. Um, so it's eventually it's going to start off rough for Disney, but I think they realize that eventually they have to go with quality content, not just in theaters, but on their streaming service, like what Netflix has done, like what HBO Max is doing, what HBO themselves does. So we don't have that. Well, it's going to Disney Plus. That's a terrible idea. We we've, we're going to have to shake that idea at some point or another. Yeah, uh, uh, that's fair. But I don't think that this is the movie to do it. Oh, absolutely not. This is such a horrible <laughs> idea. But, well, you know, trying- I'm, I'm going to wait until I see how te- how terrifying Stitch looks. Oh, I've seen um, some I mean- concept art, but it's all like fan-made stuff, and it's the stuff of yeah. nightmares. Oh, I is. think Disney themselves is hoping to catch lightning in a bottle twice with like the baby Yoda effect, except with stitch. Yeah. Um, maybe, I mean, what I can see it, what would be really, really, really interesting to me would be, is if it is like a beauty and the beast kind of scenario where, um, he, like when he transforms into the dog stitch, he is actually kind of cute and kind of adorable. But then when he, he reveals his, alien self he is a monstrosity so it does mean something for for lilo to love him anyway Uh, i don't know i i just can't care about this franchise because i don't care about lilo and stitch never have never will i thought it's fair i've always thought of all of lilo and stitch stitch was the biggest weak point because if you look at it, the rest of Lilo and Stitch has one of the best casts of any of those forgotten Disney movies. Like, um, Nani was a great older sister. She's a great character. David was a great character. Um, who's the scientist that created Stitch? I liked him. The one-eyed guy um, was great. Yeah. And all this is really? more or less coming from my experience with the animated series, which I thought was far better because we got to flesh out these characters and they didn't spend as much time with stitch um but i i've never really been a big fan of the movie stitch it was just like a oh we're gonna milk this for all it's worth yeah i I can i can i can see that yeah i've just never understood the appeal it's just like he's he's the tasmanian devil basically yeah but even even Taz, the Tasmanian Devil has a certain appeal. Yeah, it. I've never liked Stitch. I know a lot of people that do. One person in particular who is like obsessed with Stitch and seems to think he is Stitch. You know who you are. Yep. Uh, um. Yeah. This is not the Disney live action remake that I want or was expecting. 
But hey, if Disney is willing to do stupid crap like this, maybe we will get a Treasure Planet someday. Which I watched this weekend. <laughs> Fun fact. And? <laughs> oh, I love Treasure Planet. It's always a great time. It ages so well. I still, I still like get all hyped up during the opening scene of him uh, solar boarding. Oh, where he's like, dude, it gets, especially after that. That's all in theaters into the theater. Oh, dude. Which fun fact, because I'm full of those at all times, as you know, uh, you know, that scene uses three different animation styles all at once. I've heard of this. Yes. Hand drawn, matte paintings and computer graphics for the first time. Yeah, it was to make the solar um, sail pop, basically. Yeah, it, oh, it's just beautiful. Uh, it's so Disney, gorgeous. remake that instead of this crap. But let's move on, shall we? Josh, you got a sponsor for us this week. Um, <laughs> This weekend was sponsored by Monster, because without it, Josh would have probably crashed. I, I don't doubt that. At all. <laughs> At least you didn't say like bang energy because everyone seems to be on that train these days. Uh, it's it's okay. Bang, uh, I, I prefer either Monster or uh, Rain. Rain is pretty good. Why, and why they do don't, all these also, sound they like your so. sense, like colognes? I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. <laughs> this is going downhill real quick. So let's get into yeah. our main discussion. So in you honor know. of the Academy Awards this past weekend, I thought uh, now would be the perfect time to do a discussion that I've been wanting to do for a while, but I never really thought about the best time to do it. Movies about movies. So every once in a while, you'll get a really entertaining film about the movie business. The, this could be either a movie based off of the making of a real movie or uh, not a real movie, but it's still about the making of a film or somehow connected to the film world in the movie itself. So you'll kind of see as we go along how the movie connects to something either movie-related or the movie world. I, I like when films pay tribute to itself, but either one of us has to have seen the movie in order for us to talk about it. So that's why like once upon a time in Hollywood will not be talked about today because I don't know about you, Josh. I have not seen that yet. I have not either. I, I'm, I I'm want to, honestly, I just haven't seen it yet. I don't know. I haven't really had the urge to, um, and I don't know why that is. I, I'm not but, a Tarantino yeah. fan by any stretch, but I'm curious at least enough about once a time, once upon a time in Hollywood. That's fair enough. So um, let's start us off with the one that, I'll be honest, I didn't see for a lot of years until um, I saw, I think over like a winter break or something in college, and I loved it. And I talked earlier that I'm not the biggest Martin Scorsese fan, but this is by far my favorite movie that he's ever done because it almost feels like two separate movies. The first is your stereotypical kids' adventure film, and the second half is a love letter to old school cinema and the old school techniques of movie making in the early 1900s. Obviously, I'm talking about the magnificent Hugo, the only Martin Scorsese movie the kids are allowed to see. <laughs> and I actually have not seen this. It's been on really? my list for some time. I just, I don't think I've ever been able to track down a copy of it. I think it's in the movies reason. anywhere. 
Okay. Well, uh, their movies that. anywhere are voodoo. But yeah, so without dipping into spoilers for Josh, it does split into two separate movies. There's a revelation that is made about halfway through about one of the characters. And then from that point on, it's kind of a love letter to that person and that person's legacy because um, it's one of those... Most of the characters in this movie are made up, but one character was a very much a real human being that their contributions to the world of film are often overlooked in modern day because of so many things that came later but were originally inspired by this individual. But also, this movie reflects on those very early days of film, and it's really, really cool to see... um, early movie special effects um, were very much just like filmed theater almost of using almost the exact same techniques that you would see in a stage play just recorded on film. Um, So the first half is very much a old school adventure, but the second half is this great, fantastic love letter in all sense of the word to old school, like really old school, pre-Universal Monsters old school filming which got me more interested in that era of film as well as like film history because once I realized that the person that they more or less dedicate the whole second half to was a real person it made me go well what else was that era of film like and it was really cool of Martin Scorsese like kind of teaching younger generations of because you like this all because of this guy but you didn't realize it yeah that's super interesting. And it also doesn't hurt that it's one of the most stacked casts ever. You've got Ben Kingsley, Asa Butterfield, Chloe Grace Moretz, Jude Law, Sasha Barra Cohen. And honestly, Sasha Barra Cohen's best performance. He's really good in this. <laughs> Which, uh, that, well, I guess, never mind. He's a great actor. I was going to say that's a surprise, but I had to think about who we were talking about. He, he's got a surprisingly good and well-rounded character for this movie. It actually really, really worked. Well, that's good, because he do- he typically doesn't play that kind of character. Yeah, Hugo's one of those that, like, everyone that I've ever talked to, they're just like, I didn't think I would like it, but I really, really do, because it, it's it's very different. Uh, also, see it on the biggest screen you can. <laughs> why Why is that? It's just, It's just very much a spectacle. Okay, that's fair. I mean, and I think my time is showing off of like, here's this really, really long take because I can. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, as Monty Python would say, now for something entirely different. Uh, Josh, <laughs> it is no secret to anyone on the podcast because you've made it known on numerous occasions. You are a big fan of musicals. Yeah, man. I, mean, I, I am mind not, them usually. <laughs> I know, which is an even more surprise to me that this movie's on the list. I will tell you why this movie's on the list because as much as I'm not normally a big fan of musicals, I I I don't know. They're just not my thing. I don't hate them. I'm just very particular about which ones I like, which ones I don't. Whereas on the flip side, this is by the way my favorite musical that I've ever watched, hands down, like not even close. Maybe it's because it's about movies, but I I don't know. It's just so charming. And of course, I'm referring to Singing in the Rain. Um, Now, this one I know you've seen, Josh. Yep. 
I mean, it would be hard knowing my knowing my, who my mother is. It'd be very hard for me to not see this movie ever. So I saw this way late. I think I saw this um, either like junior or senior year in high school or like freshman year of college. So my backstory with this is there used to be a ride in Disney called the great movie ride where you would go through famous moments in, um, in famous movies. So there'd be like a scene from alien or a scene from Raiders or a scene from singing in the rain. And so for a lot of years, I was just like, well, that's that scene from singing in the rain. At some point, I kind of want to see all the movies that are on this ride. So I went into singing in the rain with like zero expectations of just like, Eh, I don't know what to expect. Within five minutes, I was just hooked. And maybe it's just, just like this look, this fictionalized look at Hollywood at its time or what it was. But I I enjoy Singing in the Rain. I, maybe it's, well, who's the sidekick? I don't remember. His, I can never, ever remember names, but... He's he's great. He I think the best. What, what what gets me is both of the 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 main and the and the semi semi main characters. Oh geez, I just wrestling terms. Um, but yeah, like it's just the, those they're so entertaining to watch them engage with everything that the world has. It's whoever I forget what his name is, Gene Kelly. And Debbie Reynolds, who I will forever know her for Halloween Town, but she was also great in Singing in the Rain. Yeah, exactly. So how does it tie into movies is the whole plot of Singing in the Rain is Gene Kelly is the main character, and he's had most of his career as an actor in the silent film era of movies. Well, movies are becoming, as they called them then, talkies. So actors that more or less were known for silent films had to learn how to become acting actors like with their yeah. voices and everything else. And some can't quite make the transition all the way. No. And because, but because they've been, you know, pushed to superstardom, it, how do you tell this person that now? Yes. And it is often met with hilarious results. Um, Normally, I'm not one to be like, oh, yeah, that was some good dancing. Holy crap, this has some of the best dancing you'll ever see in a musical. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like so oh precise. And that's because Gene Kelly was, oh gosh, evil. Yes, but that's not the point. I mean, what's interesting to me is there's so many iconic dancing scenes in, in singing in the rain that almost every movie like movie musical or uh, you know actual uh, stage musical has copied or replicated some certain parts of it in one shape or form because it's it's so iconic it's so incredibly precise like you said it and it's it's you know it's it's always good to pay an homage to you know the masters the only complaint that I have about Singing in the Rain, and it's such a weird nitpick, is there's one song in particular that every time I watch it, I feel like it's so out of place and just like, what the heck is this? And it's like that super like weird dreamlike number. Oh, yeah. That like everything slows down. I'm just like, the, the heck is this? Did someone fall into a coma for five minutes? Yeah. So 
Um, Josh, why don't you hit us with a couple that are on your list of movie-related movies? Yes, because that was the funniest conversation you and I had, was I saw your list and I was like, I have seen maybe two of these. (laughs) Um, Let's start with Man on the Moon. Which I have not actually seen this. It's, I mean, it's interesting. The movie itself is, it's okay. Um, but it's incredibly intriguing to watch someone who I, I respect and I, I, I love quite a bit in Jim Carrey legitimately transform himself into somebody completely different. Uh, in Andy Kaufman and I think like the movie's good but then if you watch the documentary about it right on the tail end of it too it just blows it uh, oh, it's in, it's incredible to watch Jim work and like you I, I don't know I like movies that if it's going to tie into the movie world I like it when it's based off of a real event more so than oh, a yes. made up movie yeah, absolutely. And and with his fight with Jerry Lawler, which is hilarious of all the people, it's Jerry Lawler. Um, I like that they brought Jerry Lawler back. I, I didn't think they could. Um, oh, yeah. Because like Andy Kaufman actually feuded with the real Jerry Lawler in real life. So it was cool to bring him back. Also, so I don't you, think he really had to twist s- Jerry Lawler's arm too much and be like, hey, you get to punch Jerry, uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Um, did you have, Did you see the documentary about it? I've seen bits and pieces of it. So the most wild part is um, after all of that, all those shenanigans happened, Andy and Andy and Jerry Lawler actually like met and like made up and you know, smoothed things over quite well to the point they were kind of friends. So then um, when Jerry came to the set to do all that, to do the, all that bit and Jim is in full Andy mode of like that, time of Andy when he was just antagonistic and super weird like he actually wanted to fight him again because he was like that's exactly how Andy Andy was and it makes me so mad and like so like the Jim Carrey got Andy Andy Kaufman down to a T to the point that it was terrifying and maybe that's it of like I don't know if I would like Man on the Moon as much as you just because I've never really understood the appeal of Andy Kaufman. And, and that's, I, I'm not, Andy Kaufman, it wasn't the reason I, I saw the movie. I saw the movie because of Jim Carrey. Because I, I love me some Jim Carrey. Um, really? I don't think oh, I ever yeah. knew that. Yeah, oh dude, Jim Carrey and Nicolas Cage are easily two of my favorite actors. Well, nice to see we can agree on one. Because <laughs> I've, I've, uh, have yet to see anything with Carrie that I like. Have you? Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll <laughs> You're just like, it. no, nope. Nope, we're not going to have this discussion right now. We won't. Because <laughs> I could rattle off a few that I find very interesting. Yeah, we need to but... just have a day of like, Josh likes this. Nathan hates this. <laughs> just line. Yeah. We'll just call it line in the sand, the final episode. <laughs> Yeah, we won't even have any any news that day or anything like that. Just lying in the sand. All all <laughs> the audio is just peaking. It's just us screaming in the background. <laughs> I can't believe this guy. It's just that um, meme from American Chopper of just throwing chairs. <laughs> well, let's talk about a movie we've both seen and both have a deep love for in Teen Titans Go to the Movies. 
You are so welcome for this. <laughs> yes, because I was like, uh, what counts as a movie about a movie? <laughs> Which you said something. Oh, you said, does Deadpool count? I'm like, no, why was Deadpool count? And then I was like, wait, light bulb, Teen Titans go to the movies counts though, because not only do they go to the movies, but the whole premise of the movie is, hey, Robin hasn't had a movie yet. How can I get my own movie? If Alfred's yeah. getting a movie, if a utility belt's getting his own movie, why can't I? Which is, as a Robin fan, I'm left asking all the time. Where's Nightwing? <laughs> In my dreams. I, I think the thing that gets me the most is that this isn't just a movie about, you know, somebody wanting a, a, a Robin movie. It's also kind of in a way, a very satirical take on superhero movies that, you know, that we get these days. Yes, it parodies superhero movies really, really well of everything gets a sequel, these lesser-known characters get a sequel, but not you, fan favorite. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's just very, very intriguing in, in the way that they do things. Um, uh, and just... <sighs> It's one of those movies you can't really describe because before this film, you and I both detested and still to this uh, to a certain level detest Teen Titans Go. Yes. But the, this movie is very hard to not like, especially if you're a comic book fan. Uh, also, I only discovered this like three days ago. Did you know that Batman in that movie is voiced by Jimmy Kimmel? No. Yeah. That's crazy. There's so many like famous people in that movie. Um, I'm not surprised. But yeah, I I would like more movies like Teen Titans Go to the Movies of like being very very meta about we're literally trying to get a movie in our movie. Yeah, it's very and the comedy is so spot on. The so I enjoyed the songs way more than I thought that I would. Right down to the Robin, it's my movie song. So that. In and of my itself, movie, my guarantees movie, that it's going to be on this list today. Movie. And it's all about me. I think the one that gets me is the, um, oh, what's it called? It's the, the supportive, like, talk or whatever. The the one with the, where they crash the car into the Oh, um, tiger. upbeat, inspirational song. Yes. And they run over <laughs> the polar bear. <laughs> oh, man. It's great. But still, every time I have to say, every time we mention Teen Titans Go to the Movies, I have to talk about the single greatest written line in any comedy I've ever seen of Superman, voiced by Nicolas Cage, which in and of itself is a great joke and reference for the diehard fans. But it's just like, you can't fool Superman. He's a national treasure. <laughs> it's so great. To which, if it's I just... could take my hat off and bow to the movie I would have in the theater. Oh, dude. And what's I've great is I don't think either of us... Thing. I, I know you caught it upon first watch. But I did not. The Young Justice. Get out of here. Go away. I don't want to talk to you right now. <laughs> what's another what's... movie on our list that you and I have both seen? Um, You've seen Tropic Thunder, right? When my boy wants a TiVo. <laughs> my boy gets a TiVo. It just cracks me up of how ridiculous and pretty racist the idea of 
Robert Downey Jr. Jr. pigmating, like making himself physically black so that he can play a black man. Not only Just, that, oh winning an Academy Award for it. Which is terrible. Yeah. So, but also Tropic Thunder, for those that don't know, it's a movie about these actors um, that more or less are sent to the jungle thinking that they're going to be filming a movie. So, as Robert Downey Jr. so eloquently sums it up, he's a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. Yes, that's exactly it. It kind of parodies Hollywood culture really, really well of like, you've got that guy that takes every role he plays way too seriously and is super, super dedicated to his craft. Daniel Day-Lewis, Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, But then you've got that guy that's like super tight cast. And every time he tries to leave that typecast bubble, things end badly for him. Rock Vin Diesel. Um, And then you've just got the really scummy, over-the-top, aggressive producer, Harvey Weinstein, um, and a really, really dumb manager who still ends up being one of the best things. Um, I will say Tropic Thunder rescued not one but two careers. Everyone will always acknowledge that it's kick-started Robert Downey Jr.'s career as well as Iron Man, but I will also always claim that Tropic Thunder helped kick-start Matthew McConaughey's career. <laughs> I wouldn't. I yeah. No, I I'd agree with that. <laughs> I, the TiVo line always gets me, but the one that I always die laughing about is "I killed my favorite thing." Uh, um, Amanda. That doesn't even sound like a real name. That we can deal with that. No. Oh, a panda. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and then Jack Black. Oh, Jack Black, more or less being an Adam Sandler parody of being in bad well, comedies mean- and. Being Jack he, Black. He already, he already is. Which, um, I will save my last movie of the day for, I'll tease it now that this may not be the last time we talk about Jack Black today, believe it or not. Um, what? No way. But Tropic Thunder, oh, I love Tropic Thunder. It's so stupid, but it parodies Hollywood culture really, really well, as well as just being a good comedy. Yeah, I, yeah, no, of you're like, not wrong. This isn't in the script. Yeah, no, I agree. Of like making fun um, of methodness or... Isn't Ben Stiller in that movie too? Yeah, Jack, it's directed by Ben Stiller. Okay, that's what I thought. He got <laughs> jacked for that movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's, because that was just after Zoolander, wasn't it? Oh, no, dude. Zoolander was like 2003 or 2004. No. Yeah. Okay, I'll look. Zoolander's older than you think. This is a few years before Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Okay, so it is. Okay, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. I know where we are in in, in history. (laughs) Also, it's still hard to believe that the ammunitions expert in Tropic Thunder, Danny Mc bride would later go on to write a Halloween movie. Which is still crazy to me. And not just that, that he's writing two more that I'm actually excited for. Yeah. Like what? Well, what we could say always though about Michael Myers in terms of Lori, at least I did not kill her. I did not. 
Oh, oh hi, Mark. Get out of you. Transition you know what? You know what? I think I'm going to dip on the pod right now. I, I can't. That's that's enough for me today. Um, I'm <laughs> fine. I'll talk about the disaster artist all by myself. Gladly. <laughs> well, you will. Cause not only have I not seen the disaster artist, oh. I've also not seen the room. You haven't seen the room. I thought we made you watch that in college at some point. No, that's one Bloody. of those ones though, that the internet parodies it so much that you've probably seen all the scenes at one point or another and just cobble it together. Yeah. Like I admittedly did with I mean, most dude. of Anchorman as a kid. <laughs> yeah, which is everyone a, quoted it so much that I felt like I saw it. Yeah, and you seem to have me in a lot of your memories from college, whether I was there or not. <laughs> which you should be honored by that. I I, I, I do. It's just kind of sad sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh yeah, Josh was there, dude. That wasn't nope. even a thing that happened at college, and eh, you were there regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like I was at your wedding, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Josh was at my birth. <laughs> I was there the whole time But going back to Disaster Artist I'm actually amazed that you haven't seen this It's one of those though that It helps if you've seen The Room But you don't need to see it So The Disaster Artist is based on a book Which is based off real events Kind of like Moneyball um, So The Room is like The Citizen Kane of bad movies It is Supposed to be a drama, but it is so far over the wall of bad for dramas that it goes into full-blown, this is an amazing comedy. So The Disaster Artist, more or less, is a movie about the making of that terrible movie. Directed by James Franco, which may sound scary, but he's actually a really good director. But he's just as good as a Tommy Wiseau, who was the original writer, um, editor, producer, everything for the original Room, who in and of itself has to be one of the most interesting enigmas in all of Hollywood history. Like, the legend of Tommy Wiseau in the original Room is half the charm of the Room. So this dude, Hollywood told him, you are not good-looking enough to be leading man status. And to be fair, he's not. He looks like Igor from Frankenstein. Um, Yes. So he's just like, I'll make the movie myself. And so everyone around him is just like, how? I have money. We never know how he gets his money, like ever. But this dude still spent like $3 million on the room of his own money that we still to this day don't know how he got that money, where he got all of his equipment from. He does like everything wrong to make this movie. Like um, when you're making a movie, you either make, you shoot it in digital or you shoot it in film. You Just because when you're editing it, you act, you either have to choose. The dude's just like, no, I shoot with both cameras because I'd be first director to do that. Well, well, Tommy, have you ever thought about why no one's ever done that before? Nope. So he shoots the room with both a film and a digital camera. And so he does like everything wrong. And it's just ridiculous of just like, how can one person be this stupid? So the movie actually reflects it incredibly well. There's a great scene where... They're like, um, we're about to shoot this alley scene. And Seth Rogen, who's playing the director of the film, comes in. He's just like, wait, you recreated a set of the alleyway right next to the actual alleyway. He's like, yeah, we use Hollywood sets for this. I'm like, why didn't you just film it in an alley? 
<laughs> because that would be smart. But it's one of the best, like, frustratingly hilarious movies of, okay, you think you've had a bad work experience. At least you weren't on this movie set. But all of it is true of this movie from hell that somehow got a theatrical release and still to this day has this huge cult following, which I am proudly a part of as I own the room on DVD, thanks to my fantastic wife. Um, it, but it's one of those, you don't have to see the original to appreciate the message. The movie doesn't take the route of, let's make fun of Tommy Wiseau because he's weird and it's easy to make fun of him for making a crappy movie. They go with, let's celebrate the fact that this dude made a movie because making a movie is a hard thing to do but he stuck with it. Having never made anything before in his life, he made a movie, and let's celebrate that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool, though. See it, man. Hey, well, I will I'm say... Sure it's, on some, it's on some streaming platform that I have. Yeah, it's on Movies Anywhere, too. Um, okay, look, I don't need you coming in here telling me exactly what I need to know. Um, I will say, since I know for a fact you haven't seen it, Dolomite is my name released recently and it's almost like um if I had to sum it up really really quick it's the black actors version of disaster artist kind of okay I, I've of seen an African American actor that didn't knew nothing about film was just like you know what I'm going to make my own movie uh it's a little bit different circumstances because he was he was doing it for bigger reasons than Tommy Wiseau's own ego, but it's very, it's in the same vein as Disaster Artist. So if you like Dolomite, see Disaster Artist. If you've seen Disaster Artist and you like it, see Dolomite is my name. Hmm. Okay. Both of them just chronicle the misadventures that can happen when making a movie. True. Speaking of misadventures. Billy and Mandy? <laughs> No, I was going to talk about Life Aquatic with Steve, Stephen was Zisu. I thought about putting on this list, but I haven't seen that movie in so long that I actually kind of forgot what the movie's about, other than the cool antenna head dance. <laughs> we got the these movie antennas is about... in our helmets now, so we can listen to music. Do 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 do. The movie's about a guy making a, a, a making a nature documentary, basically. With about and, the uh, whale that like killed his friend or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yep, no, yep, that's it. That that's all the movie's about. And Owen Wilson <laughs> says, "Wow, a lot." <laughs> Isn't Owen Wilson also like <laughs> Bill it's, Murray's I mean, son in the movie or something? Yeah, it's it's a weird movie, dude. It's a Wes Anderson film. That's all you need to say. That's the, literally like all you need to say, like. I think one of my, the scene, I wasn't sh sure about the movie, but I was like, it's Wes Anderson. I should like it. So I'll give it, I'll watch it all the way through. I'll give it a try. Um, I wasn't sure about it. And then like one of the first things they do is there's a bunch of, I want to say, I want to say they're jellyfishes, but I, they could have been plastic bags with blinking lights in them. But he like starts spouting all this nonsense about these uh, fluorescent like jellyfish. And it's obvious to everyone, but Steven that they're definitely not the species of jellyfish that he's talking about. 
<laughs> but they just let him do go about his thing. Oh, I think I remember stuff. that. It's I remember at the end when they're all huddled into the submarine. Yeah, because then it randomly turns into like a weird spy movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It like turns into it's, Iron it, Man 3 almost at the end. Yeah, almost. It's it's really weird. Um, so did you see we've got like three comedies and one outlier, so we'll save the comedies like in a batch for last. Did you ever Bad. see um Saving Mr. Banks? <sighs> I meant to. <laughs> it is, I'm really I'll good. be honest, it's a tough watch at times. Like in terms of subject matter, it's probably one of Disney's darkest movies. Really? That's saying a, something. Spoiler about alert, you have a dad that dies kid. of alcohol poisoning. What? No, you're not allowed to do that. It, yeah, Colin Farrell dies from like drinking too much alcohol or something. Wow. Okay. Um, and that's like a, that's it's not just like a one scene thing. It's like a recurring theme of like a dad that drinks so much that he forgets his kid's name. Um, like it's a really hard movie, but the premise of Saving Mr. Banks is Emma Rob, uh, Emma Roberts, um, Emma Thompson, the better Emma, wow. Emma Thompson is playing P.L. Travers, who wrote the original Mary Poppins story. So the story goes that Walt Disney was trying to turn Mary Poppins into a movie and he needed P.L. Travers' permission. So they turned those events into a movie. So a movie about the making of the Mary Poppins movie, which in and of itself is a nightmare because P.L. Travers herself was not a nice person. But also, to be fair, in the things that he was doing in the business that he was trying to swindle with P.L. Travers, Walt Disney was kind of shady and underhanded too. Yeah, uh, totally. Um, I'll also give credit to Saving Mr. Banks as it's the only Disney movie or ever any time in any like Disney records that I've ever seen that shows Walt Disney smoking. Really? He puts out a cigarette really quickly as she enters the room. And I'm like, oh, good for you, Disney, because you are showing the world for the first time ever that Walt Disney smoked, even though it's like the worst kept secret because he died of lung cancer. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, wait, you show Walt Disney smoking. You didn't show him as the flawless hero. Like, I like that as much as I had issues with Tom Hanks' performance as Walt Disney, they didn't show Walt Disney as like perfect character. He's definitely has some flaws. Which is good because that was, I, I remember that being a worry of people going into this film. Uh, I still think he did not do a good Disney at all. The voice is all wrong, but it's an interesting movie from the perspective of what goes into making an adaptation of something of what happens when you have a creator of something and somebody that wants to make that into a movie, but the creator has a very different vision of what that movie should be than what the studio wants to make it, which I'm sure is not an uncommon thing in Hollywood. Well, I would agree. Of the long, complicated process. I think Saving Mr. Banks is on Disney+. Plus. If not, it's on Netflix. I can't remember if it's one of those ones that's like, quote-unquote, on Disney+, Plus, but it's stuck in limbo for a little bit. Which would make sense. Um, Josh, you want to talk about that one that you brought in like minutes before we hit record that I'm an idiot for forgetting about? 
<laughs> Which is funny because you and I reference Wayne's World all of the time. Showing. Showing, baby. I think the the one, one of the scene one of the many scenes that gets that sticks with me is the product placement joke. That's my favorite scene in the whole thing. Because for a long time, and still to this day, but they try to do it more subtly these days, is product placements was rampant. It was to the point of like it was annoying because it took you out of a movie. Hmm. And Wayne, Wayne's World was like Transformers. Hey, let's make it a joke. Let's make a joke. Yeah, but um, I remember the first time, at least the first time I watched Wayne's World, I don't want to speak for you because apparently you weren't there for a lot of this things that I remember you being there for. (laughs) Um, The first time I watched Wayne's World, they get pulled over by a cop. I'm just like, hey, look, that looks like the cop from Terminator 2. He takes off his helmet and it is the cop from Terminator 2. It's the it, it it's not a movie that's about make. I mean, technically, it's about making a show. Technically, but that I, gets turned into a movie. They get offered yes. that contract by Rob Lowe and the coroner from Psych. Yes, I still laugh at it's Woody. Yes, <laughs> but it's it's not afraid to not take itself seriously, and it's it, you know it's it's Michael Myers uh, to me at his Mike best. Myers. His name is Michael Myers. No. Yep. It is now. I, I decided it. No. <laughs> but yeah, I like that it kind of, it's a movie almost about a movie and the Hollywood culture. It works, yes. I think. I, I, I would agree. In a one that was supposed to start off as just sketches on SNL, they found a decent storyline for it to go with, which when in doubt, just make it something Hollywood related. Oh, well, yeah. Easy, easy stuff. Which I really, really hope that you saw this one as a kid, Josh, before we get into our last one. We obviously have to talk about Big Fat Liar. Um, I feel like I saw it at one point. He's the blue guy. Paul Giamatti when he's blue. I know, but... Before he was... Did I know? (laughs) I'm so... Okay, first of all, can we talk about how awesome Paul Giamatti is and how he needs more roles? He needs to act more. He is a good actor, especially when he's Marty Wolf in Big Fat Liar. The most despicable heel, like, ever. Yes, I mean, I'm going to take your word for it. (laughs) He teaches kids about the harsh reality of the movie business. It's a dog-eat-dog world. He's a dick. He is, but I guess he's not. Growing up as a kid, it wasn't very common in movies that you see an adult be as mean to a kid as he is. Like, he's just a scumbag. But also, it's a movie that... As a kid, it was the only movie that I could really think of off the top of my head that was very, we're going to at least parody what it's like to make a movie of, you've got Paul Giamatti's character of just like, all right, I've got a script meeting, then I've got a special effects meeting. There's all these different branches of like, here's the behind the scenes of this movie. And then I thought always thought it was kind of funny that there's several scenes where they're like, there's a couple different chase scenes and they'll run from one movie set to another of like the wild west to the middle of a jungle all by walking through a door 
And I'm like, that's amazing. And it's exactly how they do it. Yeah. Uh, also, I didn't realize as a kid how stacked the cast is in Big Fat Liar. Obviously, you've got Frankie Muniz as the main guy with Amanda Bynes, but you also have Turk from Scrubs as the limo driver. You've got Paul Giamatti as the evil director. You've got John Cho from the Star Trek movies and Go On as the stunt coordinator, who is more or less supposed to be a stand-in for John Woo. Because <laughs> you got to have a John Woo. It's like, it's the only kids movie that I can really think of, or even movie that of its kind that like dives headfirst into this movie is set in Hollywood and shows you a more or less a film version of what it's like to make a movie in the funniest way possible. And it may not yeah. always be as pretty as you think. It's almost never as pretty as you think. Okay, so for this last one that we wanted to talk about, it's one that I still to this day claim is criminally, criminally underrated, and I really wish I could find it in any store. I may just have to search on Amazon because at this point I can't find it anywhere else. Uh, But it's one that we watched in college after a buddy of ours. We used to go to family video all the time, and so he just picked it up and was like, never even heard of this. So we watched it later that night. And about halfway through the movie, I absolutely fell in love because it hit me at just the right time. And I'll explain why in a little bit. It's a movie starring Jack Black called Be Kind, Rewind. So the premise of this movie is Jack Black is uh, like a manager or somebody that works at a video rental store. Not like a major chain, like a blockbuster, but just like a family, small family run VHS store back when VHS were a thing. So one day, like an idiot, he demagnetized all the VHSs in the entire store. So kids, what that means, demagnetized on a VHS means it wipes everything. VHSs are those big, huge box thingies that you put in your TV. If we have any very young listeners. Um, So he wipes all the VHSs in the store. So one day this lady comes in Later that same day, actually, the, this old lady comes in asking for Ghostbusters. And thinking on his feet, Jack Black goes, well, we have our all of our VHSs on a special order basis. So if you come back tomorrow, your VHS will be ready. She's like, oh, uh, okay. So because they can't think of anything else for some reason, they decide to make their own fan version of Ghostbusters with a cheap little video camera in the back of the store. And they film their own version of Ghostbusters. So they like make their own costume, their own terrible special effects. And this is all in VHS era. So they can't have any like green screen, special effects, anything. They make their own costumes. They shoot it in an afternoon and they give it to the lady. No problems. They're just like, all right, we'll just have to wait a couple of weeks and we'll get all the uh, VHSs reimbursed. We'll get them back in the store. Well, later that same day, a group of like thugs come in. They're just like, we want to see RoboCop. So, same thing. They go out and shoot their own version of RoboCop, like, really, really low rent, like, really bad fan film version of RoboCop. They give it to the thugs. Thugs and the old lady come back the next day going, that was pretty good. What else you got? Not knowing that that's not the actual versions of those movies. So, the rest of the movie is Jack Black and his buddy 
recreating famous films um, for these people to see. So they'll like, um, somebody be like, um, we need Star Wars. So they would like find a bathrobe and a stick and have the famous Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fight. Um, and eventually FBI gets involved because they're just like, you're selling, um, unlicensed copies of movies. And there's this whole debate of, do you own these things that you've made, even though their title is some, something else. And so it hit me for a bunch of different reasons. It really impacted me for a bunch of different reasons, but um, one, obviously being a film fan, it was cool to recognize all the things that they're parodying or spoofing, but also it was refreshing to see these people are just like, we're just going to make something because we love films. And it was like low quality, but they were totally okay with it because this was also the time that you may not have watched this movie with us, but you were in that bubble with us of, um, in college, we were really experimenting and learning with film stuff. So it's really when I started the YouTube channel and was just messing around with different video stuff of like, shooting stuff when I did my first music video or doing five good things with you. Or I remember getting different roommates in college involved that they did their own videos very briefly. And I showed them how to do video editing or we had up in Ed's room, we kept all the video equipment and the green screen up in there. So we more or less had like our own studio. So it was kind of cool to see a movie showing the very, very, very amateur and early stages of filmmaking while we ourselves were going through that same experience of like, we love movies that much that we want to make our own and we don't care how bad they are. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's that um, might be something I'll have to track down then. Yeah. Be kind. Rewind is, I can't find it anywhere. And it's frustrating, but it, it's just nice of like, I've always had a creative itch and I want to scratch it, which is why I like have all these projects lined up and I get in my own way of just like, this would be cool. Mm, I think I might be the only one that likes it. So I don't do it. But seeing something like that, I've just like, they make these movies as a love letter to what they love. I'm just like, I can relate to that. And I, I don't know. It really spoke to me as someone that that's where I was at the time of like making YouTube videos or just making different video related things that I didn't know how it pan out, but I didn't care because I was just learning about filmmaking firsthand and I enjoyed every minute of it, whether it was doing five good things with you. Um, in which case we changed the set like every week. Um, or we swapped you out with Nezla for one week and tried to make some joke that we thought was just hilarious. Um, yeah. Or just doing reactions or just different videos or like how my Star Wars episode eight or nine videos could work or just, I don't know. I, it spoke to me with the whole basic filmmaking. And if anybody has been in that situation of just like having to make anything low budget or just making something video wise on your own for the first time, it, yeah, I could relate to it. And it was it's why you like movies is because you have some form of a connection to it. So that's why it's, there's not a ton of great movies about movies, but I think that's one that's criminally underrated. Fair enough. You got any others before we bring this thing home? No, none that really come to mind. 
Well, see Be Kind Rewind, people. It's so good. Uh, what are some movies about movies and movie-making world that you guys love? Let us know in the comments below. We always love hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.